0: Message today is raising able children and I don't mean that just in the natural sense of children. I mean that also in discipleship, spiritual children, people that we are leading. People that we are investing into and wanting them to move into a season of maturity. Raising able children is our message today. Our text is Acts chapter 20. We're going to start from verse 13 and read through 38. So it's a a sizable text, but you'll understand uh, this message title. Acts chapter 20, starting from verse 13. Paul is making his way from Macedonia back to Jerusalem. As he's going back to Jerusalem, this is talking about what what is going to take place, particularly with a church that he planted and, and discipled in the city of Ephesus. But we, going ahead... To, uh, going ahead to the ship set sail for Asos intending from there to take Paul on board for thus he had arranged intending himself to go by land and when he met us at Asos we took him on board and came uh, to Mytilene and sailing from there we arrived the following day uh, opposite Chios and the next day we crossed to Samos and the day following we came to Miletus And uh, for Paul had decided to s- sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Okay, And so he's going from Macedonia to Jerusalem. He wants to get there quickly and he wants to just bypass Ephesus altogether because of time constraints. And he knows that if he stops by it's not going to be a short trip. Verse 17. So basically, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks the repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may feel uh, Finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things he knelt down and he prayed with them all and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Amen. What an emotional passage. I mean, in the black and white text, you can feel, you can feel the heart, the connection, the love. I mean, in a sense, I taste the salty tears as I read this passage. As I think about what Paul must have felt him gut-wrenchingly saying to himself, I need to get to Jerusalem. The Spirit is driving me there. And I want to spend some time, but I know if I stop by here, it's not going to be a short pit stop. That I'm going to spend an overwhelmingly long period of time. And with, with, with tears, he decides to just pass by. But when he's at a place close by, he says, I can't just leave this way. And so he sends a messenger to Ephesus. And he calls the elders to come to him at Miletus. And those elders find him there and they are connecting with their disciple. A mentor of the faith. An apostle of Christ. One who loved them with sweat and tears. Who worked hard. Fingers to the bone. Even preaching the gospel from house to house. And Paul just gives his heart to them. And they, with tears, embrace each other. I can see hours through the night crying, kissing him, devastated thinking that they won't see him any longer. Because Paul knows, you know what, I'm on this course and the Spirit is saying to me wherever I go that afflictions are awaiting me. He knows that his life is probably about to come to an end. And that he is going to be maybe in a prison, rotting somewhere and all of the churches that he planted, all of the people that he led, he realized that this is most likely the last time that I will set eyes on you, that you will see me. And it hurt. And yet he is being driven knowing that that is his calling in life, that that is where he is headed, and that is what he must do. And so they connect, and they pray, and they cry, and they send him off. And in this passage, I see something absolutely beautiful. I, I see uh, the heart of a shepherd and what happened here. And thus this title, Raising Able Children. That Paul had no natural children, but he had many children, spiritual ones. That the discipleship of his life, the pastoral and apostolic ministry of his life, raised countless children in countless regions and cities. And he had plenty of children, though having no natural children of his own. And so raising able children really in my mind is about parenting, whether naturally or spiritually, with the end in mind. Knowing that my children will one day mature out of my influence. That they will one day be independent of my hands. That their growth and maturation is something that I must want and see and plan for. That I must parent with the end in mind. With the end in mind. Now, I understand that in this demographic that we have here of young professionals, of younger families, that we're on the the beginning side of this journey, aren't we? That my wife and I, we are on the beginning side with our kids being only seven and now soon to be five. And so now having children that are only in the lower elementary age bracket, we are at the process of trying to invest into their lives, not really letting them go. But parenting, successful parenting, always is done with a picture of what the end looks like. Isn't that what any successful venture looks like? Whether you start in a career, whether you start at school somewhere, that whatever thing is in front of us, when you can see a picture of what it will be, and you look towards that picture, it gives you better bearings for how to navigate the present, the beginning phases, the early rungs of the ladder. And it gives us hope. And it drives us forward. And it helps us to be patient in times of great distress. And so Paul, understanding that these churches, wherever they were, whether it was Ephesus or Corinth, whether it was in Thessalonica or Berea, wherever these clusters of Christians were gathering, Paul understood something. That these Christians need to be strong apart from His presence that even if he wasn't there that that church needed to grow and so his entire leadership training was really based on him being removed from the picture because he realized that I'm not going to be here the holy spirit's telling me that I'm going to be in jail somewhere and so if this church is dependent upon me preaching on a weekly basis there something is going to give that this is not sustainable And so Paul, understanding that, he commends them. And he hands them over, basically, to God in His Word. And these spiritual children that he was rearing, he understood that their maturity, though they might have felt it was too early, Paul was prodding them forward, excelling them down this path of growth, even if it meant a gut-wrenching goodbye. And this is not easy, raising able children, parenting with the end in mind. I mean, in in a sense, I think it's easier to raise dependent children. Now, let's just think on a natural sense for for the moment, okay? Not a spiritual sense. Just our natural kids, I think it's easier to parent them so that they're dependent. Do you understand why? Because all it takes is asserting a strong foot. Because I said so. Because the adult in the room said you must do it, you must do it. That's the easy way of parenting. That's the forceful way. It's about saying you have no choice in the matter and I am forcing and telling you to do this. And they will do it. Why? Because you can punish them. right? Because you're the bigger body. You have the louder and stronger voice. You are capable of taking away things that they like, that they want. You are capable of withholding things that they want to receive. And because they understand that you can insert a strong foot and say, because the adult, the parent says so, you must. That's easy parenting. That's the easy way out. That's just punishment. Punishment is easy. Punishment is saying you did it wrong, I will punish you for it, and then you leave it there. You know what's hard? Discipling. Shepherding the heart. Because when a child does something wrong and you correct the behavior and you say this is wrong and I punish you for that, that is easy, short-lived, and you can walk away from that encounter. And the child is hurt. But discipleship is different. After you say that this is wrong, you embrace the child. And you still tell them why you did this and how you care for them even though they did something wrong. And that takes time, patience. Energy, sometimes tears. And so to parent that way, naturally speaking, is a more difficult road. And, I, and I've realized that. And when you want to give kids and you want to help them to develop a strong point of view, a perspective on life, you realize that you have to give them some options. And because I said so is just not good enough. Now, I remember now, like Jacob's here, right? And he's seven now. But when like when the kids were like barely a year and a half, two years old and they're kind of still in their car seats and they know how to want to get in, but they don't like, you know, they don't like it so much. And, you know, there are times when they don't want to go to school or do things. And I remember certain mornings, you know, like they would say, I don't want to go to school. Right. And we're talking about a two-year-old kid saying to dad, I don't want to go to daycare today. Right. And like in that moment, you're like, I got to get to the work or I got to do something at a particular time. And this kid's telling me that they don't want to go. And so like I can just literally pick up the child and forcefully strap the child in. That's one option. Right. That's an option. I can spank the kid right there and say, you don't speak up that way to me because I said you must go get in the car. That's easy. That takes about five seconds. What's hard is saying, okay, dad's got to go. You have two options. You can get in the car and go with me or stay here by yourself. Now, I gave options but limited (laughs) to, right? You see the difference here? The difference is because I said so, you must do this. The second is, all right, I'll validate something that you have an opinion and I'll give you a choice, but you only get two. One or the other. You leave with me or you stay here by yourself. And the the repercussions are when they say I'll stay by myself, you actually get in the car and then you leave a child crying in front of the garage by himself right and then you have to take the time to come back and then you consult see I told like this is why you got a couple of choices dad's got to get here and this takes a drawn-out period of time and energy the easy way out is to say no get in the car strap him in crying with tears get on your way right and so to raise able children takes effort and patience And it's the same spiritually. It requires that effort. It requires Paul saying, I know I got to get there. And this is going to be a long drawn out tear fest tonight. That's even, have you ever had a tear fest night? Like how like, man, that is like draining. right? If you have to like cry with people, that is, that, that, that takes a lot out of you. And yet Paul, understanding how important it was to touch base with the leaders of Ephesus, for them to ship and and to come to that particular place to meet with Paul, to cry with him, to share with him, and to talk. How important that was. And he takes that moment and he does that with them. Why? Because he wants those leaders in Ephesus to be able. He wants them to fend for the church more than he would. He wants them to be aware of that there will be people that want to tear this community down. And even though he is not there, that they should fight for that church even in his absence. And he's prepping them in this way. Take ownership over this church. It's your church, not mine. You are the leader, not I. And as he, in a sense, transfers that leadership and authority over to them, he imparts to them a sense of identity and power, a vision maturation. And those leaders left my leaders stronger than when they came. They left with a better grasp and picture of what was in front of them than when they came. All because of that discipleship. All because Paul was raising able disciples there in that space. And I can imagine it's not just in Ephesus that he led this way. He planted a lot of communities of faith. And he wrote letters to them painstakingly, whether from jail or on a boat. And why did he do all of this? Because he realized that he needed to to create an environment where Christians were growing up and leading their own church. And he wanted to give direction, timely direction, when needed. Because he realized that his one body could not be in all of these different places. And so the first point is push out of the nest. When the time's right. When the time's right. I mean, maybe you'll see from these pictures, I'm getting my cues from National Geographic. Right? You've probably heard the legendary stories of eagles, right? Of uh, How big mama eagle has these growing chicks that she's feeding every single day, like pounds of meat. Right. And as these young little chicks begin to shed their baby feathers. And as they approach eagle adolescence, that she edges them closer to the end, the boundary of the nest, and she pushes them out. And flailing wings and all these young little birds are falling to the ground, and big old mom comes swooping in, catches the babies and brings them back. And she re-does this, This process of pushing them out, catching them, and bringing them back over and over. Because she's trying to teach them something that they're called to do and that they know not yet, which is fly. See, they were created to fly, but they don't know it yet. They think that their life is confined to the protection and the warmth of this nest and that mom will always come. She can fly, but not us. She goes, gets the food, and brings it back. That This is their knowledge of life. But mom knows that these young birds were created to fly like her, to catch prey like her, to do all of the things that she can do, but they don't know it yet. So what she does, she pushes them out when the time's right. She instills fear, and as they are falling, she's catching them and redoing this process. And as time progresses, she does a critical thing after this. She begins to throw out the feathers and the leaves in the nest. She begins to break the nest stick by stick. And what is she doing? She's making it more uncomfortable here because she also realizes that these young birds will never fly if they stay in the nest. And I think we can take positive cues from that. I think we can understand something profound about that, because this is hard, right? Especially, like, if you think about the people that you lead in life, whether you're natural children or other people, if you really care about them, you don't want harm to come to them. And that's why this is hard, to let go, parent to let go, to disciple to let go. this is difficult but discipleship and parenting is a process of letting go speaking with natural parenting at birth we receive our kids but parenting is a process of actually giving them back to god you know we receive them as helpless infants but soon they're crawling and walking and running their schools get larger and larger They grow from dependence to independence, being fed to feeding themselves, being provided for to providing for themselves, to being a follower to then being a leader. They are constantly growing. And parenting is a process of allowing that to happen. And in a sense, sometimes they will be in harm's way, that they will scratch their knees and they will fail and they will cry and they will be hurt. But the process of saying, keep on going, son, my young daughter, keep on going. And pushing them out Letting them stretch their wings a little bit And even though they can't fly yet Letting them experience the exhilaration of what it means to fall And yet through all of that that is happening They begin to slowly spread their wings more and more And you begin to take away the comforts of provision Of dependency Of checking in with me every week Of every day That you will get this handout from me I will provide it. I'll tell you the answers. In parenting, they call that helicopter parenting. One that just hovers over the child, making every decision, hedging off from every hardship, applying for colleges for them, getting them their first job, providing money for them, bailing them out of every pitfall. This is helicopter parenting. I just hover over you. You got problems, just come back to me. I'll keep you safe here. Now that seems affectionate, but we're doing a great disservice to our children when we parent that way. We're doing a great disservice to our disciples when we lead them that way. And we must allow them to experience the hardship of the wind when it's time. But we default to saying it's too early, don't we? Especially if we care, right? Like, ah, like I mean... Number one, like, I don't know what my parents were thinking when they raised me. Like, they must have had a lot of faith in society because, I mean, we were like, my brother, and I, we were latchkey kids. Anyone else a latchkey kid? Yeah, right? Like, I think about how we think about, like, our boys. Like, I don't know, like, man, are they okay to walk by themselves? Like, when they get a little bit older or do certain things, like, there's fear that sets in. Like what if, especially as media and social media and all of the things have just sensationalized all of the harm that can come to our kids. And you want to protect them more. You want to bring them closer, reel them in, keep them close, right? But I think we need to fight that tendency, gauge the time. And it might sometimes seem a little early for us. But what we'll find, just like Mama Eagle knows, that they're capable of so much more than they think. And Paul looking at these elders from Ephesus, I can imagine they were afraid. It's easy to default to Paul. Paul's Paul's gonna just make a decision. Paul will come back and he'll tell us what to do. That's easy from their end. The hard part is, ah. you mean we gotta go back and fend off from those wolves? You mean you're not gonna say anything? You mean when a decision has to be made, we actually have to make it? You're not going to tell us what to do? There's fear there. And yet in this meeting, this is what Paul does. He says, this is your church. There's going to be people that want to tear it down and you need to fight for it. It's your church. And he raises them as leaders. And in a sense, he pushes them out of the nest. You know... In Hebrews 5, it says this. For though, this is speaking to the recipients right, of this letter. Most people think that it's Paul who wrote the letter. But for though by this time you ought to be teachers. like You should have like, grown by now. right? You ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and non-solid food. All right. This is an indictment, right? Like, man, how many years have passed and you're still suckling? Like you still, you still haven't grown. You haven't taken any ownership here. Right? You should be leading others, teaching them, and yet you still can't. You can't chew solid food yet. And it goes on. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And catch this. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Here's the key to this passage. How does one grow? How does one mature to solid food? It is by personally practicing it. By living it out on his or her own. And when we are able to practice this truth, this virtue, this teaching, without the parent hovering, without the discipler hovering, when we are able to come to that moment, and we actually have to, through our own sweat and tension, and heartache, make a difficult decision. When we have to discern, is this good, is this evil? And when we actually have to put our left and our right foot forward and walk down a path that does something to us, it straightens out our spine a bit, not in pride, but in strength, in courage, and maturity. And it helps us to understand, wait a minute, with God's help, I can do this. I don't necessarily need to be dependent on him or her. And in the practicing, we grow. In the, 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 the stumbling over the coffee table, the young child learns to walk. In the falling and scratching, they learn to run. In the crashing, they learn to ride. In the flailing, they learn to swim. In the practicing of these things, they grow. And this is the hard part, letting them scratch, letting them flail, letting them suffer, letting them practice. And this is what Paul is encouraging to the elders of Ephesus. Right? And of course, in infancy, we need a nurture, right? Like if you've got an infant baby, you're not going to say to a, a three-month-old, hey, feed yourself, I'm tired. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to do that, right? And of course, if danger is coming and they can't run... They can't walk by themselves. You need to grab that child. We need to nurture, protect in infancy. But we need to understand, we need to wean off of being dependent. That's a difficult task sometimes. Proverbs 22, 6, another maybe famous verse. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Right? And when he's old, he won't depart from it. I mean, I italicize the important thing that I want to say. That each one has a path that he or she must personally walk down. And when you train a child, a disciple, to walk down that path that she must go, as they practice that, as they learn how to succeed and fail in that venture, they begin to solidify certain things in their own identity, in their own callings. And they begin to take ownership over that. And so when they become adults, leading others, they realize, I'm not doing this because dad told me. I'm not doing this because it's just a routine that mom had in place or my discipler did. I'm doing this because this is what I have done. I've been trained along this path. I've walked it. I've learned it from step one through ten now. And I'm doing this. And now that I'm old and no one's hovering over my shoulder, telling me to do this, paying me to do this, I still do it. That's what this is about. If you train a child in the way that he will go, when that child is older, he'll do it by himself. Without you there. This is raising able children. And so my second point is this. God's hands are bigger than mine. I think this is what helps us let go, to push out of the nest. Because when we understand that God is sovereign and that He's actually holding life, and not just my life, but all lives, my children's lives, the, those that I disciple and lead their lives, it gives me peace. It takes the burden off of me that I was never meant to carry, of taking full responsibility for somebody else's life. Because in the end, even parenting is letting go to God. I'll do everything in my power to provide and to give you every opportunity to succeed, but I realize that I can't hedge you from every single disaster that can come to you. And there's a part of parenting that say, even where I can't go, God, Lord, I I trust in you that you will lead this child, that you will lead our family. And it's taking that burden off that we were never meant to have and saying, God, I trust you. I know you're present in leading him or her Because in the end, isn't every branch a subbranch to Jesus? Like when John 15, 5 says that Jesus said, I am that true vine. If you want to bear fruit in life, you need to be attached to me. And so in a sense, we might think that we got children that are attached as branches to our lives. We got disciples that are attached as branches to our lives. That they are dependent on me, right? That I need to provide for them. That I need to lead them. Tell them what to do. Where to go. But in the end, we need to realize, wait a minute. I I need to be connected to the vine. And every branch that's connected to me is really a sub-branch to the main branch or the main vine. Because that's trusting and believing in a God that is much bigger. So as I close, one statement as praise team, you come back. It's this. Commit your life and the lives of those you lead to God's care and leadership. If I were to point back to verse 32 of our passage in Acts 20, it says that I commend you, Paul is saying to the elders. I commend you to God and the word of His grace. You see those two things? to a sovereign God, and to Scripture that can guide. That Paul understood that if these people were to grow and thrive and walk down the calling that is in front of them, that they need to to, to serve and to be connected to something that was much bigger than him. And so as we think about our own lives and the lives of those that that we care about, that we're leading, let's make sure that we realize that life is so much bigger. Than the stretch of our arms than the reach of our influence. And let's always trust and commit to God.